0: Welcome to the show. We are sharing stories with solutions from people who have overcome adversity and healed their life. I am your host, Victoria Johnson, teacher trainer for the Heal Your Life Workshop Teacher Program and the Heal Your Life Coach Training Program. You can learn more about me and the training at thetraining.ca. That's T H E training.ca. As Louise Hay always said, The point of power is in the present moment, so let's get started. Hello, beautiful listeners and viewers. I am so glad that you have joined us again today. We have a very interesting topic today. We're going to be talking about grief, and I do know that it is something that we have all been affected by in some way. And our guest today is Alison Penna, also known as The Bad Widow. And I can't wait to ask her why that is. And she is from New York. She is a grief resilience coach. She is a number one bestselling Amazon author. Her book is The Bad Widow Guide to Life After Loss, Moving Through Grief to Live in Love Again. And I'm going to put that link for the book in the show notes. So when you are listening to this, just go ahead and scroll on down and click through for more information on that. You can also Find more information on Allison's website, which is badwidow.com. Welcome to the show, Allison.
1: Thank you so much, Victoria.
0: It is great to have you here. I'm always fascinated by people who live in New York. It just seems like the center of the world sometimes, and uh, so much going on. And yeah, I think sometimes, you know, for those of us who maybe live in more rural areas, maybe sometimes we think of places like these big cities where there's just so much happening all the time and we forget about there's actually individual people living in those places with feelings just like us even if we live in the middle of nowhere we're all experiencing these same emotions those feelings like depression fear anger shame grief and how it sometimes rolls through us in waves and I'd love to hear your story, Allison. I know that you've had great adversity in your life and that you have overcome that. And I know that you'll be an inspiration. So wherever you'd like to begin, just go ahead.
1: Okay, I uh, lost my husband to pancreatic cancer in on September 10th of 2016 at 10.10 in the morning. And he died literally in my arms. And before that, we fought for his life for 11 months. And lost the battle in the end. When you've been with someone as long as we were together, we were together almost 25 years, you're sort of wound around each other like vines. And so the idea of losing him, this almost other half of myself, was so devastating. In the time before he died, the doctor said, you know, slow down, do less, reduce your life, shrink your life. And that made no sense to us. Because for us, I don't know what you know about pancreatic cancer, but it's one of the really bad, vicious, fairly quick ones. So it can be six months, it can be six weeks, it can be four months, he lasted 11 months. But when they said slow down, we thought, well, why would we do that? Why would we not just live full tilt boogie until the very end? Because what we knew was that probably our time together was drawing to an end our love affair was going to be over. He was going to leave and I was going to have to find some way to go on alone. And one of the things that's extraordinary about grief, so it's called anticipatory grief. If you have time before the person dies, you're grieving through that time. As a caregiver, being helpless is horrifying. So when he was angry, I was the one he lashed out at because I was the one who wasn't going to leave. But what we decided to do was we decided to live. We decided to prioritize our love for each other, spend more time together. He loved to paint and play tennis. So I created an environment where he could do more of that. I loved to sing. And I had sung open mics a lot before I met him. And then he didn't like it so much. So over the course of the years, I did that less and less and less. I knew I would not survive his illness, and his dying if I didn't move the emotions through my body.
0: Yes. So important.
1: So important. And it's different for everyone. So for me, for pretty much everyone, it's self-care and self-expression. So what are those things?
0: I was going to say, tell us more about that. So mm-hmm. what I'm hearing you say is while your husband was dying, the two of you made the decision to embrace life and live fearlessly. And even yep. though that was extremely hard and you know, any of us who have cared for someone along a similar path know what you're saying is so true that we take the brunt of the abuse. We're there for everything, but it's part of the journey and part of the growing closer. So yes. you knew you had to embrace self-care to get through that as well as after he passed to get through that. So why is including self-care into your schedule such an important practice?
1: It's really essential because it creates a buffer zone between us and the things that hurt us. It gives us more capacity to take stuff. Mm -hmm. If you're taking good care of yourself, then you're able to. My husband, when I would say, well, I really have to go and do this for myself, he would say sometimes, but I'm the one with cancer, which was true. And what I wanted to lash back out with was, yeah, and I'm the one holding it all together. I'm the one creating the environment where we can both up until the end thrive as best we can. And so for him, it was. To remember that besides being a, a cancer patient, going to chemo, getting weaker, losing his hair, being less able, he was also a remarkable artist. So the painting behind me is one of his works. And he was also a great tennis player, even when his balance was so bad that he would fall on the court and pick himself up and keep going. For me, it was remembering that I was not just a caregiver and I would not just be a widow. I was a wife, a sister, a daughter. And so singing. So basically, I did two cabaret shows, and I sang on four stages, three songs. And it was to remind myself that I was more than what was going on, than my current circumstances.
0: And I think you've made a really good point there on both sides of the coin. I've dealt with cancer with both of my parents. Mm -hmm. And You're right. When we hear that C word, especially in such an aggressive form, then that for many, many people becomes what defines us. And then Mm -hmm. as the caregiver, that becomes what defines us. So I love what you're saying. And for those of you who are watching and listening, if you are in this position right now, whether you are the patient or the caregiver, to remember that all of those other parts of who you are, are still there. And to uh, be living fully into those as much as you can, as much as time and mobility, like you mentioned, and the illness or the changes in your body will let you. And so self-expression, something like music, something like art, maybe it's spending time even just in nature and and getting that time for yourself as a way to refuel both as the, the patient and as the caregiver, I think really important. So thank you for making that point. I have to ask, why do you call yourself the bad widow? I love it, by the way. (laughs) There's such a stigma around what being a widow is. So tell us more.
1: Yeah. So being a bad widow was about taking a contrarian view, not just going along. Because one of the things that happens after a loss is that you doubt yourself. You know, I had someone at my back supporting me, believing in me for 25 years. And then I didn't. And so Bad Widow was, I am going to say what's actually true because in the face of that indecision, which comes when you stop trusting yourself, people flood in with their advice. Here is what I think you would want. If I was you, this is what I would want. And then they give you that as opposed to what you're actually asking for sometimes. And so Bad Widow was about telling the truth about grief, telling the truth from inside the grief because nobody was doing that. You have plenty of people talking about how do you handle the finances? How do you release things? But there was nobody talking about what it feels like when your world blows up. You've no idea what your future possibilities are. People don't know how to deal with you. So very often there are people you count on who
0: abandon you, who leave. So you you felt that, Standing up for yourself, speaking your truth, trusting yourself, your intuition, yep. your, your decisions labeled you as more of a bad widow than the typical widow who was crying into her Kleenex box and letting somebody else make all the decisions.
1: And who wants to keep the people around them comfortable.
0: Okay. There's that missing piece.
1: That's the missing piece. Yes. So if you start to cry, stopping your crying, even if you need to cry, because it's making another person uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So very often what happens is the person grieving is going out of their way to create the environment around them as more comfortable for the people around them. Mm
0: -hmm. So they won't leave. Yeah. And it's so true because I think we've all been in that space even where we don't know what to say. So we'll avoid reaching out. And grief is, you know, grief is a funny thing because it shows up in so many different ways. And somebody asked me the other day, how long do you think that I will be grieving? And I have no idea because it's so different in different situations. And I, and I think we need to give ourselves permission for that. I had an experience yesterday, I think, where I went into a building that my mother's doctor office was. My mother's been gone for almost 12 years. And I walked into that building for the first time where my mother's doctor's office was and felt grief. I could feel her like walking down I remembered walking down those hallways with her and so on and went back into grief. And, you know, immediately I wanted to push it out of my mind and say, oh, you know, it's been almost 12 years. Why am I feeling like I'm going to stand here and melt down in the middle of this hallway? Mm -hmm. And So can you tell us more about how to handle those, those overwhelming feelings that show up all this time later?
1: Yeah. So the answer is forever. It eases off. So the first two years, it's pretty pervasive. The first year it was all grief all the time. The second year it was zero to rage in five seconds. And there were all the other emotions as well, but that was kind of the biggest emotions were in the first year, grief and the second year rage. And the way to deal with them is not to judge them. We shame people grieving if they grieve beyond a certain amount of time. We expect them to bounce back.
0: Mm -hmm. You
1: don't bounce back as the same person, which means you never bounce back. After Mm -hmm. any loss, we're different. And yet you have people very often trying to have you be who you were
0: that you can never be again. So let's take it from the inside. What about those people who are saying, I don't recognize myself. I want to go back to the old me. Yeah,
1: so for those people, I would say that's impossible. The good news is that's impossible. The bad news is that's impossible. So the fact of the matter is that because we are who we are in relation to other people and different events, that will no longer exist, especially if someone's died. So I will no—I no longer have my husband in this world with me. He doesn't exist. So I can no longer be that person because that relationship is gone until the people who keep looking back and trying to get back to who they were at that time will fail. And it stops them from moving forward. The thing that people don't understand is it's not a betrayal to allow the past to be the past.
0: Mm-hmm. It's not a betrayal to allow the past to be the past. I'm writing that down.
1: Because you are all of it. It's just that that is not something you can bring forward into the future. At the point where you hit the tipping point, where you know that you aren't that person and you start defining who you are now.
0: I think that one other thing to, I'm um, just to say it a little differently than how you said it. Yeah. Yeah. For, the, for those people who are saying, I want to go back to the old man. I want to feel like myself again. You've grown you've grown. This loss, this grief has forced you to grow and that person may not exist anymore. And certainly the world with that person in it doesn't exist anymore. So maybe to reframe it, a person could embrace who they are today, knowing that they have the wisdom and experience that comes along with surviving loss.
1: Yeah. It also allows for a reset. So one of the gifts of grief, if grief has a gift at all, is that it rises up to the surface, what matters, Ooh, what we truly yes. care about, right? Yes. And and so a, a typical signpost of someone who's experienced a loss is they're very much less likely to settle. They're very much clearer about what they truly want in their life, the people and the activities. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's not unusual to cut out toxic people and activities. It's not unusual to let go of things or take new things on.
0: All of that sounds like really positive, good things. And, mm-hmm. and you know, let's talk a minute about, I think generally what, as soon as we hear the word grief, we think someone died, right? We and do. what about divorce? What about losing a job? There's, Those are all that? grief
1: experiences. Those you know, are your children
0: leaving home, or maybe that's joyful.
1: <laughs> well, it's both. Yes. It's both. I mean, any loss. So it's this tipping point that I'm talking about. There's the before, which is the experiences. For example, when your kids are home, there are the experiences of being home, and then they leave home, mm-hmm. and then there's another experience. Yes, there's maybe of them coming home and really appreciating who you are and what you are in a way that they didn't when they were at home. So it's different. It changes. the The thing that's confusing is that. It feels like betrayal to go on.
0: And so relating that to, in my mind, when you say it feels like betrayal to go on, I think about death. What about grief? Because I know you are um, a grief grief resilience coach. What about, let's say it's a job loss.
1: Job loss. So let's say you lose your job. It is a role that you've identified yourself as within. Mm -hmm. You lose all the friends that you had at that job. Mm-hmm. You lose the stature. It might change your financial situation. Mm-hmm. And there's a shame very often that goes along with losing a job. Yeah. One of the things about every loss is that people tend to feel broken.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Broken people make bad decisions. Yeah. So if you can get to that you're heartbroken, heartbroken about losing the job, heartbroken about losing the person, heartbroken about the divorce, heartbroken about the kids moving out, not broken. That's a huge distinction.
0: Ooh, I like it. So heartbroken, not broken. Yep. So you mentioned divorce again. So let's talk about that for a second. I hear this from my clients a lot. I was the one who decided to leave. I was the one who ended the relationship. Why am I crying? Why am I devastated?
1: Yeah, I define loss as the death of a future imagined or co-created that will never come to pass.
0: Can you say so that when, again? Loss is the, death of, the a future. death
1: of a future imagined or co-created, which will never come to pass. Wise words. So when you divorce, when you get married, you don't ever imagine that it will end in divorce. Mm-hmm. This is your happily ever after. Otherwise you wouldn't do it, right? And so the ending of that, whether or not you chose that ending is sad, but we don't give people grace to grieve. Grief is so misunderstood that we don't allow people to grieve what they need to grieve. So how can we help support
0: people to grieve?
1: Communicate. So that's what Bad Widow was about. Communicating what it's actually like. Communicating how to communicate mm-hmm. when you're grieving and how to support someone who's grieving.
0: So say what you need, say what you want, say how you feel. Yeah.
1: Be just absolutely clear. So for example, what I discovered was that how are you was not helpful, especially in the first year, because I couldn't answer it. Yeah. My thought was, how do you think I am? The man mm-hmm. I loved for 25 years died. I can't see a future. I don't know if I'm becoming a cat woman. How do you think I am? And I realized that what I could answer was, I could answer, how are you today? How are you this week? Yeah. So if there was a shorter time parameter put on it, but we don't talk about grief, so people are not getting these kinds of tips from people who've been through it. So they're doing their best and they're getting it wrong.
0: I am going to challenge the viewers and listeners. I really like that question. How are you today? And so simple. I find the most profound things are the, the most simple things, right? Not always easy, but simple. So for anyone that you're coming in contact with that you would normally say, how are you? Whether they're grieving or just someone that you run into or a coworker, how are you today? I love it because so often we want to say fine. But if somebody asked me mm-hmm. how I am today, I think that I would stop and say, you know, I'm doing great today. I feel really good. I slept well last night. I'm excited for what I'm doing tonight. It just invites more conversation.
1: Well, it does. It, what it does is it brings you into the present.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in the present, we can answer these questions.
0: Right, right. One Consistent. of my favorite... Absolutely. And one of my favorite quotes is Louise Hay, the point of power is in the present moment. And Mm -hmm. I think that that question really puts it there. And for any of you who have been through grief and are maybe in the throes of it right now, the present moment when it's happening in front of you, we can we can stay there because it's all consuming. But then when we are in that grief process, my experience anyways, I can go back and relive and relive and relive and relive and, relive and each time rip the Band-Aid off my wounded heart.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The emotions stick if you mm-hmm. try to make them go away.
0: Okay, let's talk about that. What do you mean by that? The so that's what. If you try to make them go away. Right. So, if you so try it, and stuff them down in a jar and put the lid on. The opposite's going to happen.
1: The opposite's going to happen. So if you try and stuff your grief down and you keep doing that, then it never gets to move through your body and out. Whereas if you just let yourself be. Mm-hmm. Now, I am not saying if you feel like crying in the middle of a meeting, you do not have to cry in the middle of a meeting. It's really important when these overwhelming feelings show up to have a plan. Because in the moment, you can't plan. You can't even think. So if you have a plan, okay, if this happens, because it might, I might walk down the hallway to my doctor's office and feel like bursting into tears 12 years later. Right. What am I going to do when that happens? Because it's not an if. What am I going to do
0: when that happens?
1: Yeah. yeah am I going to excuse myself and go into a restroom? Am I going to make a date with myself for just later on to allow the emotions to be? Because if you stuff them down, they get stronger and they stick. Whereas if you let them be, they go by like clouds.
0: Oh, yes. And you know, there's different tools, of course, for that. My favorite tool for letting those emotions out is journaling. What are some of the tools that you use?
1: I use lots of them. When I was really grieving hard, I knew that I needed to amplify my self-care. And I also knew that when I was in the midst of it, I couldn't think. So I reached out to my friends and I said, give me your best tips as specifically as you can. And so I have a list of 100 acts of self-care from my friends. And so when I couldn't think, I would just go to that. So walk in nature, sing, write poetry, dance, listen to drums, do singing bowls, vibroacoustics, movement. I'm really pretty terrible at exercise. I like to walk, but (laughs) I have a um, lot of friends who love it, but it's not my thing. (laughs)
0: I think that we should make the point too to the people listening that the time to come up with the idea of what to do when we are feeling those overwhelming feelings of grief is not when you're feeling those overwhelmed feelings of grief. So when yep. you are feeling well and calm and peaceful, that's when you want to make that list and you know keep that list in your phone or on a in a piece of paper in your wallet, whatever it might be, so that you can go back and refer to that. I give the same tip a lot of times to my clients regarding stress. When we yep. are feeling stressed, our mind's not saying what would be a healthy choice right now. No our mind saying, give me food, give me this, give me that. And if you can just the same thing with grief, list out a few things like Allison was sharing with us, keep them nearby so that you can refer to it and to nurture yourself with that self-care of practicing one of those activities while you are grieving and cry when you need to cry, let go and know that it's not wrong to be angry. It's not wrong to be sad. It's not wrong to be happy. All of these are normal emotions that we experience as human beings and they are to be processed and released staying in that present moment.
1: Yeah. It's really important, especially when you're dealing with other people to, and this was essential when I started dating again, because that brought up the most grief the most feeling of betrayal and regret and anger. And, you know, why am I back in this dating pool? This is not fun. (laughs) And so it was really important for me to, I would have these weird reactions. Like I couldn't trust my chemistry because I was only accustomed to the touch of my husband for 25 years. Mm -hmm. So my skin knew his skin, that's it. So anything else felt, felt wrong. And I literally would say, don't touch me. If someone tried to kiss me, I had a panic attack, full on. And it became really important for me to realize that I had to ask myself if it was me, mm-hmm. if it was him, or if it was us, right? because then I knew what to do next.
0: That makes sense, Allison. just really checking in and not trying to push through the feelings. Absolutely. I want to just repeat the name of your book here, The Bad Widow Guide to Life After Loss, Moving Through Grief to Live and Love Again. Uh, That is available on Amazon. Do you have any like final number one, either self-care or self-expression tip to leave with our listeners?
1: Yes. The biggest tip that I would leave for you is trust yourself. Trust yourself. Any advice that you get, filter it through whether that advice is right for you. Because after that person is gone, you will live with the consequences of taking the advice. Mm -hmm. So trust yourself.
0: Trust yourself. Brilliant advice. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the show, Allison. And again, that website is badwidow.com. And thank you for joining us. Thank you listeners and viewers for tuning in and Just remember what Allison said, you can trust yourself. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like to become an internationally certified Heal Your Life teacher and coach, please visit thetraining.ca. To be a guest on the show and share your story, please visit victoriajohnson.org. Thank you so much for joining us.